0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. I am your host, Lisa Woolfork, and I am, as I say every week, this is a very special episode because today we are speaking with the executive director of Scraplanta Creative Reuse Center, Jonelle Dawkins. Welcome, Jonelle, to the program. Thank you so much, Jonelle, for being with us today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm excited to be here. This is so much fun because there's a lot of conversation around sustainability and environmental justice and all of these different questions. And what you bring to the table, Jonelle, is a background where your sewing and sustainability and creativity all go together, that you don't have to choose to be a sustainable sewer, or choose to be a deeply creative and experimental sewer, or a cosplayer, you can be all of those things at once. Well, maybe, maybe not you, but if you, if your name is Jonelle Dawkins, then you are definitely all three of these things, (laughs) because that is exactly what Jonelle Dawkins does, is she does all of this amazing, wonderful, creative cosplays, but I'm talking to her today because of Scraplanta. And I am incredibly excited to hear more about this really exciting project and the role that you have as the executive director of this organization. Thank you again for being with us today. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for that wonderful introduction.
0: You are amazing, and I'm so glad to share your story with the Stitch Place podcast family. So tell me a bit about your sewing story. How did you get started?
1: I remember I was nine, and I told my parents I wanted to learn how to sew, and they were tired of my different hobbies. And so they were like, you know, this is it. We're going to get this sewing machine. If you like it, you like it. If not, that's it. And so I took like three classes at a local church. And it was me and one other person. And the lady, after three classes, she said, I don't like children. And she just stopped teaching us. Wow. (laughs) She just stopped. And so it seemed like from age like nine to 14, I was like on my own. And I was just playing around the sewing machine. I had an American Girl doll. So I tried to make clothes for her. She looked like a cave woman, but it was okay.
0: (laughs) I was just having fun. You started cosplaying early. You're like, you know what? (laughs) <laughs> this doll needs some clothing and I'm gonna go for that primitive aesthetic yes. <laughs> of like a cave woman. I absolutely do. Our common human ancestor. This is totally adequate. This is a yeah. good way to begin sewing. Yeah, and so I wasn't confident in sewing for
1: myself at that point. It's like I sew like pillows and everything. And then when I was 14, I found a sewing instructor who, she was like a home ec teacher back in Trinidad. And when she came to America, you know, she sort of like let it go to the wayside. But she said, yeah, I'm fine with teaching you. And she really taught me how to, one, read patterns.
0: <laughs> oh, wonderful. I,
1: I was just cutting stuff out. And I'm like, okay, this is a shape. But like, um, <laughs> now that it I- Is this got be an arm say, or a leg?
0: Who's teaching yeah, me? I had no
1: idea. And I finally wanted to put it together- And like the thing I like about her like Caribbean influence with her fashion was that she had fun with it because the fashion industry is so, it can be at times so boring. You know, everyone has wants to wear black because it makes you look skinny and just just stupid stuff like that. And I'm like, I want to have fun. (laughs) And so I got my confidence with sewing and and then being in high school and being like an overachiever, I was all over the place. I didn't really have time to take sewing class after ninth grade. And, but I knew I wanted to study fashion design at first. Okay. And then when I got older, I was like, man, I can't stay creative. Like I saw a project one way and I saw how, ca- like they were so catty. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't, I don't want to be in this environment. So I said, let me do fashion merchandising because I can oh, understand no. business of fashion. Yes. And yeah, and I can find ways to make it more sustainable through that process. And so when I went to the university of Georgia, I studied abroad in Ghana. Because, you know, th- my program had, like, several different study abroad programs. And I was really on the fence between going to China or Ghana. Okay. And at the end of the day, I was like, well, why not go to Ghana? You don't hear about people studying abroad there. Like, everyone wants to go to, like, Europe and Asia. But why don't we go back to the motherland? Right. And it was the most, it was the best three weeks of my
0: life. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so beautiful. Now, yeah. I, I want to back up a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I am so loving this trajectory that Mm -hmm. in like the course of just a few minutes, you just described being a nine-year-old who had too many hobbies, to being an undergraduate who was in Ghana for a a transformative three weeks. Mm -hmm. And the thing that gets me so uh, uh, about the story is that your parents had sat you down and said, look, (laughs) Jonelle, here's the thing. You have been through one hobby, two hobby, three hobby, four. And we are here to tell you that sewing is going to be it and no more, right? That was a nice little (laughs) song I just made up. You're welcome. And what I thought was so interesting is that, okay, so as a nine-year-old, you had to commit. Now, the adult sewing instructor, on the other hand, who was teaching (laughs) you at church did not have to commit. She Mm -hmm. realized, she's like, oh, wait, I hate this. I don't like working with kids. I don't like teaching kids how to sew because kids are annoying. And then I'm just going to quit. I mean, that's the thing that I'm like stuck on. Like you yeah. were forced to stick to a hobby because your parents kind of made you, but your teacher got to just pick up and walk off. And so you had to then manage to teach yourself for the next five years. Um, yeah. Then you found someone else who was willing to sit down with you and go over some fundamentals. Can you talk a bit about that? I don't know if what you remember about you about nine-year-old uh, Danelle, <laughs> but I'm trying to understand like how many hobbies had you had before your parents drew this line in the sand?
1: It's funny because when I think about it, it's just, I think it's just like a resources thing because I wanted to be an author when I was little. And so I would like make little books. I think my parents would buy me craft kits, but I didn't really like them as much as I like the fashion ones like sewing and everything and I think my parents were like we just need you to focus on something I mean as a kid you know there's so much discovery even now um, there's there's just a lot of like discovery and I think it's just like it gets expensive for um, kids to be able to explore themselves and I think you know there was like there's some privilege that I see with people who are able to go to these different like craft camps and these summer camps and figure out (laughs) and like now you know I look back and I'm like you know i don't think my parents were like just tired it was just like you know they want to support me and they want me to be yeah. an artist but it's like it's a gamble it's an investment mm.
0: yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> and so you're at the university of georgia and <laughs> you are studying fashion merchandising and <laughs> it's so interesting too that the way that project runway has kind of influence the way that people think about fabric, about Mm -hmm. fashion design more generally, that when you say sewing, Project Runway kind of comes up as like the thing. And most people don't spend their time doing things like sewing trash or some of the like (laughs) really elaborate challenges that they ask people to do. And so it's interesting that reality TV kind of pushed you away a little bit from mm-hmm. the, the, the one, one of your your career path choices, just based on you know some programming where they put together yes. people in these pressure cooker situations and think that this is how this is how you're supposed to like actually do this job. But you are also able to find something that really appealed to you. What do you remember about studying fashion merchandising in undergraduate? What were some of your favorite courses or experiences that you had after you had gone through? Your high school time and were studying this formally at school?
1: I enjoyed all of my major courses. I especially love dress, society, and costume because you, you know? saw like the social cultural costume. influences of fashion.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That sounds really fun. That sounds <laughs> really very interesting. Like interesting mm-hmm. books, interesting readings. But, mm-hmm. you, but you'll absolutely have to tell us about the Ghana trip. Yes, The most exciting or transformative three weeks of your life when you went there as a student. Tell us about what that was like and what course was it for? What kind of things did you study when you were there?
1: With UGA, they have an interdisciplinary Ghana study abroad trip. And this one was with the fashion merchandising department and the School of Social Work. And so we went, the fashion merchandising students, are class was we had to design a capsule collection with the dressmakers that the program partners with every year Mm -hmm. and we went to the market and we sourced the fabric we did our best to find made in Ghana fabric and I I remember like your episode a while ago and you were saying that people bootleg it and they even bootleg the stickers it was it's just Mm -hmm. so tragic because I think we're so excited to go we went to the market we met these Ghanaian um market people. And we were so excited. We were like, yes, we found this fabric and it's legit Ghanaian. And one lady said, this is fake. But <laughs> thought, oh my goodness, you can't yeah. win because they fake the stickers. But um, we went to the dressmakers. I had made sketches of everything I wanted. I even did like sizing. And I had worked with a boutique back in Athens, Georgia to sell the clothes. And so while the dressmakers were making our outfits, we explored Ghana. We went to Accra, Cape Coast and Kumasi and we went to different museums and we went to different like nonprofits mm-hmm. that were and uh, we learned about their different focuses in Ghana like you know it's interesting to see like the the way they address certain issues in society versus how America might choose to address it or not address it right it was great to just learn more about other professions cuz like at that point i had never considered going to graduate school i just thought okay i'm going to graduate um, a year from now, oh well. But um when I was there, I was like, well, maybe I should consider graduate school. Maybe I, I could consider nonprofit work. Like I had never it never crossed my mind I thought I'm just gonna be a corporate baddie and just sew on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so it was at the end of that, I really felt a connection to my culture. I felt great to see that our fashion was so fun and colorful. Yeah. Because usually our fashion in, the, in the, my textbooks that I learned, it was still a Eurocentric curriculum. Yes. And it shows like fashion through the European white gaze, but right. what is fashion to us as black yes. people? Yes. As, you know, how do Africans accentuate their style? And like, it's so diverse across the continent. So, um, you know, just how Ghanaian culture and their relationship with waist beads is different from Senegal's relationship with waist beads. And like learning that and appreciating that was amazing too. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah. And what I appreciate about your story is when you did find a teacher, when you found someone mm-hmm. to teach you to sew to sit down with you when you were around 14 or so, it was a woman from Trinidad. Mm-hmm. And that by learning from someone from the Caribbean, you were able to, you know, you said that she was very colorful, right? Yes. It wasn't like mm-hmm. just picking up ye old singer book and let's sit down and make a tote bag, everybody, you know? It was was something quite different. And this idea that you're able to infuse your culture, that people, that Black folks can, we can infuse our culture into everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is a really powerful and beautiful gift and it's a great way to start learning and seeing things. So I can yeah. imagine some of the things that you might've learned from your um, Trinidadian sewing instructor. And then when you get to college and you're studying fashion design and you're like, oh my gosh, these <laughs> things look kind of, I don't know. Boring. Yeah, I was going to say flat and boring. Yeah, flat mm-hmm. and boring. Um, and so you were able to kind of combine, it seems, a really diverse Sewing education, a a really diverse foundation that allowed you to kind of mix some of the standard European style of instruction with flair. Not just flair, because that makes it sound like it's (laughs) superfluous, but with a a new degree of attention Mm -hmm. to cultural specificity and detail, which is a form of aliveness which I think is really quite wonderful and really quite vivid. That's really wonderful. Do you recall any of, your fav- one of, any of your early favorite sewing projects or design projects that you did either when you were doing your informal study yourself as a child or with your Trinidadian sewing instructor? <laughs> Or anything that you might've done when you were in undergraduate, because I feel like those earlier, earlier projects really Mm -hmm. shape, I think, how one approaches sewing in the later years. Do you remember anything particularly striking that you made in those early days of your sewing, your high school years or undergraduate years?
1: Well, there is one project that I did before I found my sewing instructor and it was from McCall's pattern, it was like these shorts and he had a really flowy like, leg, so almost like a skirt. Okay. And it was trash. And (laughs) it was absolutely trash. Like the stitching was all over the place and everything. But I took it to my sewing instructor on the first day because I was like, you know, this is what I tried to make. And she said, you know what, keep it, keep it as a reminder Mm -hmm. of where you started, and how you're going to be and we, we did the pattern and it turned out great. Like, and I love just being able to see like my growth as seamstress, cause even now I'm still growing. Like some stuff I make, it's still trash, especially if you zoom in, but- <laughs> Especially if you zoom in. I love like, oh, doing such a thing. Who has, <laughs> who has them to zoom in? Yeah, and especially like with different fabrics. I've worked with rovings up until like pretty much last year when I made my graduation dress and I was like, oh, <laughs> knits are a completely different ball game.
0: <laughs> okay. yes absolutely yeah Absolutely.
1: but I was terrified of working with certain fabrics like working in general with like patterns and everything but I said you know just just go for it and like I made this this skirt of like newspaper that I had like woven together nice. and um, I did it for a fashion show in high school and it's, it's like it's just in your youth you're, you don't have as much fear of like trying out new things and yes. everyone loved it yeah. and I was just like, "Where is that younger Jonelle who just has no fear of like, let me <laughs> let me try this and see how it works?"
0: <laughs> just yeah, you never yeah. know what's gonna happen, right? And yeah. I think that, that you know that clearly the, that that Jonel is still there. There's only <laughs> one you, and as you grow and yeah. you you will continue to take risks and do, and you know the more you sow, the stronger and better it's going to get. And mm-hmm. it's not that I think you're losing like who's this risky person. It's that you're also more confident in other things. And so you're like, you know what, rather than should I try something that I'm not so sure about or should I just try something I know is gonna work? I'm gonna choose what I know is gonna work. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have a lot of experimentation in your sewing, especially through the cosplay. Um, And I know (laughs) we're talking about um, creative reuse and we will absolutely get to this idea and why it's so important. But before we take a short break, I have to hear about your journey as a cause player, because looking at some of the stuff that you've done in that way, wow, just, it's so beautiful. The the way that you set up the photo shoots, the whole environment, the whole scene, in addition to the outfits are just amazing. Can you talk a bit about how you got started down that path? Was that around the same time as you were learning to sew or did that did that come a little bit later?
1: Well, I think it was always a part of my sewing journey because I love, like, costumes. You know, when you're younger, it's like when people dressed up in historical costume, they were pretty much doing civil war reenactments. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Thank you. I liked the the hoop skirts and, like, different fashion pieces because I was, like, a huge American Girl fan. Yes. And so I was always wondering, like, how can I incorporate this into, I guess, everyday life or whatever? And it wasn't until I went to high school and I went to my first con right before 12th grade. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to wear? And I like cut up this like yellow shirt so I could be um, Misty from Pokemon. Uh And (laughs) it was funny because I wore it on Friday and the whole weekend people kept coming up to me and saying, you were Black Misty on Friday, you were Black Misty. Uh And I was like, yeah, you know, of course, even though I met several Mistys and (laughs) <laughs> I was the only black misty and I didn't even think of that I was navigating in this space like as the only like black person that actually dressed up. Cause my friends who went, they all had like t shirts and jeans, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna dress
0: up. <laughs> yeah, this is a con, y'all. This is why we're yeah. going to this convention. Do you remember yeah. what which one was it? What was it called? Was it Comic Con? What con was it? It was MomoCon. Momo Con. So tell yes. us about what is Momo Con. So MomoCon is just, I would
1: say it's just a regular big con in Atlanta it's Memorial Day weekend yep it's Memorial Day weekend every year and it's everything you can do like gaming books whoever like you want to cosplay as. and the thing about Atlanta it's like a cultural center of course for film and like Adult Swim is based down the street from where Ramo Con is so you see a lot of like people doing Cartoon Network and Adult Swim characters <laughs>
0: Oh, that's awesome. Oh, mm-hmm. I, some of my favorite cartoons are Cartoon Network cartoons, in particular, mm-hmm. The Amazing World of Gumball. I love it. Yes. That, <laughs> that is my absolute favorite. Darwin is my favorite, favorite walking fish. Just a sweetheart. So is it called MomoCon because it's on mm-hmm. Memorial Day weekend? Or is there a character named Momo that this con is named for?
1: <laughs> I have no idea. It's, it's one of those cons that everyone just goes to the con, the big con that I know about and that I, I guess I care more about is Blurred Con.
0: Blurred um, Con. Yes. yes. Blurred <laughs> Con. Now y'all blurs as we know are black nerds. And so tell me about Blurred Con. Where was that? Was that also in Atlanta or is it elsewhere? It's in Crystal City, Virginia. Oh. And so it is
1: amazing. I, last year was my first time going. I'd heard about it for years and I kept saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And then of course, I was in college and then COVID, and you know, I always made excuses for myself, but I said, I'm gonna go. And so last year I had the time of my life at third time.
0: Oh, that's amazing. It was
1: absolutely amazing. Tell
0: us about it. What did you make? What did you wear? Who did you see?
1: Yes. So I'm gonna start off with like the con crunch, which is like what Project Runway prepares everybody for. You see, everyone's always stressed out last Mm -hmm. week's sewing. That's what crunch. The crunch I is. love that. The yeah. crunch. <laughs> and I said, I'm gonna sew three outfits. I'm gonna do it. Okay. And I was working full time at my job and back at my old creative reuse center. And it's like I'll be so tired from work. And I was also trying to exercise and stuff too. But I said, I'm gonna sew. So I, <laughs> I, I'm like sewing can be so addictive. You know how you you're like, I'm just gonna sew for an hour. Mm-hmm. And the next you know it's three o'clock in the morning and you have
0: work. And you're just like exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's like I will lit now. I will be tired at work today. <laughs> yes, and the thing about creative centers, you meet so many
1: other creatives, and then you tell them what you're doing, and they have ideas, and you have ideas. Like, so I was always just you know scoping the fabric section of the store. So I was like, hmm. <laughs> let me see if any new fabric. fabric came in. <laughs> let me see if any patterns came in. And um, what I did was I wanted to add my own twist. To every character. Yeah. Like the first one I did was Sam from Danny Phantom. Okay. Um, because my boyfriend and I wanted to do like a couples cosplay. Yeah. And I didn't realize how excited he was about it because he doesn't sew, but he will go on Amazon or Goodwill, just find anything he can to make like closet cosplays. Which is like the outfit that you picked up from the store that looks like the character. Like he's He's so serious about it. called a closet
0: cosplay. I yes. love the vocabulary we're getting here about a momocon, con, blurred con, closet yeah. cosplay. Perfect. I, okay, we got three terms. We'll be defining y'all. Um, yes. Show notes of the episode. And yes. so, so you got the closet, closet con, you got the closet cosplay going, you know, for him. Okay, mm-hmm. so for yourself, you made this character to go at this show. And what was the other yes. one? You did, the other two. Okay, and so the
1: second one was Catwoman. Wow. and <laughs> it's like it's so funny how bad the outfit was but how proud i was of myself for like pushing through because i had like this stretch velour that what? i was working with and i tried to make a hood like the catwoman hood oh my goodness i am constantly working that but that's one of the things i like about sewing and cosplay especially you can revisit your cosplays yes. and because yes. it was not perfect I look cute, though. Yes, you <laughs> look, did.
0: Yes, you I look did.
1: look so cute. And then my third one was supposed to be princess peach. But it ended up just looking more like this renaissance maiden look. And I said, you know what? I'm going to wear it. And I wear that. I've worn that outfit so many times. I wear it for my fade picnic that I have with my friends. Like, I wear it when I just need a costume.
0: <laughs> like, this is just also, this is a peach yeah. and also a very nice outfit. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that is so delightful. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to take a very quick break, but when we come back, we will continue to talk with Jonelle Dawkins, of the, the executive director of the Creative Reuse Center, Scrap Lana in Atlanta, Georgia, who is also a cosplayer and has been telling us about these amazing cosplays she's been doing. And when we get back, we'll hear more about this really exciting work at the Creative Reuse Center. So stay tuned, everybody. Hey friends, hey What are you doing on Thursday Around 3 p.m. or so? You got 30 minutes to hang out with Black Women's Stitch? You got 60? If so, come through for 30-minute Thursdays Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time You can chill with Black Women's Stitch On Instagram Live Or talk with us through the two-way audio On Clubhouse At 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time That's Thursdays for 30 minutes Come hang out, chill, and have fun with us. See you Thursday everybody we are back and thank you so much you are listening to the stitch please podcast and i am talking with the very talented very creative jonelle dawkins who is the executive director of scrap lanta creative reuse center now in the previous segment of our conversation we're talking about her sewing journey her travels her amazing cosplays and now we're going to talk about her work which you might think like Why are you on here talking about her job job? Because her job job is amazing. Her job job is really, I think, a really firm anchor into how we can keep sewing going in a way that keeps materials out of landfills and in people's creative spaces. I also love the idea of creative reuse because there are times and there are certain resources in sewing that I personally might not need anymore, but would be a great benefit to somebody else who could make it something totally new. And so please tell us about Scrap Lanta. I am excited about this and how you got started in this field. Atlanta is not like your first job as a creative reuse center. You did similar work in North Carolina. Can you talk a bit about your journey as someone who works in a creative nonprofit space? Yes.
1: So I'll start from the beginning when I first came to Greensboro. I happened upon a shopping center that had a secondhand art supply store. And I thought to myself, these exist. <laughs> I went on Google and I saw that there was another one called Reconsider Goods and Greensboro. And I said, well, let me go visit them. And I went there and my mind was just blown away. You know, just all the fabric, all the fabric <laughs> as, as a fiber artist. I'm like, yes, fabric. So I signed up to volunteer there and see, that was November of 2019. And then I volunteered from for a couple of months. And of course, COVID shut everything down. So um, I just kept on working in grad school and doing other stuff Quarantine happened. I got to sew and be more creative. And then um, they emailed me in September of 2020 saying that they were moving to a new location and they needed volunteers. So I said, okay, let me go volunteer again. Yeah. And since my classes were online, I had free time to go very often. And they said, do you want to work here? And I said, I can get paid to be here. (laughs) And so I said, yeah. And so I worked as a sales associate from pretty much that full, my final year of grad school. And it was so amazing to just see how many people came together over their love for art and how to make it sustainable. And um, right before I graduated, they offered me a position as a sales floor manager. And I was like, wow, I get to use my degree after all.
0: There (laughs) you
1: go. Fashion merchandising And so, I got to really work and see like how people shopped for different items, especially like I really connected with the seamstresses. Anytime I was at the register and someone had a fabric, I was like, what are you going to do with this? And then um we'd go back and forth and, and I would show them what I'm doing and everything. And it was funny because I thought to myself like, I want this in Atlanta. This needs to be in Atlanta because I know I'm going to go back home one day and I need a career for you sooner there. That's right. And I did my research and found out that Scrap Lana existed. And I just put it out there in the universe (laughs) where I connected with the board president. And she said, oh, my goodness, we've been looking for an executive director. And I thought, wow, me, can can it be me? Wow. And um, there's so much at first. I think I had like imposter syndrome because I'm like, no, no, they're going to rescind it and say not even. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's not gonna be executive director it's gonna be something else it's that that cannot be my position like me
0: an executive <laughs> yes you said you wanted to be a corporate baddie now you're an executive yeah. See? yeah
1: yeah and in a non space and um doing exactly what I love because I've always wanted to do something sustainable with fashion but it was hard to find a career like that yeah. and like an undergrad I couldn't find any internships that I really wanted and like I wasn't really Passionate enough to like fake it for career fairs and stuff like that. I'm just like, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to take what I learned from Reconsidered Goods and build on that with Scrap Lana. But I didn't want to just let Reconsidered Goods be my only focus yeah and my only um, source of reference for Scrap Lana. So in November, I left Reconsidered Goods and I started like a travel series where I went to other um, Creative for You centers uh, around the Southeast so I can learn from them and it's, it's been an amazing journey.
0: <laughs> that is fantastic. So tell yeah. us about some of the places that you have visited on your creative reuse journey. Like not just, now we talked in the second, in the earlier half of the program, we mm-hmm. talked about like your sewing journey, starting as yeah. a nine-year-old and then a self-taught 14-year-old and then into undergraduate and then into graduate school and all the while you're sewing and creating. Mm-hmm. But this is an actual, factual <laughs> trip. Where you yes. Went one place and then another place. Tell us about what what where did you go? That's exciting.
1: Yes. Yeah, so starting off in North Carolina, um, I went I went to Richmond for a Richmond Scrap
0: RVA. Yes. From the I heart Scrap, RBA. Part scrap RBA. <laughs> I have been to Scrap RVA. My son is an undergraduate at the University of Richmond. <laughs> and um so we when we were like visiting and stuff we would stop down by the scrap rba close to where he is there's also it's near it's, i think it's near vcu which is um yes Virginia commonwealth university which has an amazing amazing art department so there's a lot of artists there who are putting things in out so you went to richmond where else did you go
1: um i went to durham for the scrap exchange in north carolina and then i went to nashville for smart art supplies and Turnip Green creative for use, and then I said I want to go on this epic road trip from Atlanta to Texas. Ooh, lordy! And yes, and I—it's I, one of those things that I still put out in the universe. I told my friends because my friends were like, "You keep traveling, and we're jealous." And I'm like, "Okay, you know what? If you want to hop in the car with me, so I—I I
0: don't go to Texas by myself." <laughs> yes, come along. Yes, yes, we don't drive to Texas by ourselves from Atlanta. We do not yes because yes. <laughs> we do not because we are black women and we do not we cannot trust the highways and byways exactly uh, with, with our lives so alone yes because even my friend he had a green book and everything he was
1: like we're gonna be safe we're not <laughs> we are not going to you know be in harm's way at all of this trip and so we had a great time oh, we wonderful. went to dozy creative in lafayette louisiana we went to Spare Parts of San Antonio and Austin Creative Reuse. And it was so interesting because I saw people in different parts of their journeys. Scrap Lana, even though we've been around for years, we're still like a baby because we're just now opening our permanent retail location. And yeah. so we got to see places that have been open for years and some that are just like us that just opened a year or two ago and
0: they're growing. Yes. Now, Mm -hmm. what were some of the things that stood out to you? Are there certain regional differences, like the way that that Richmond, um, that scrapped RVA looks versus the shop in New Orleans or the shop, the shop in Louisiana? Um, Mm -hmm. how, like, what are there regional differences throughout the Southeast between, like, what one state might have a lot of versus what another state might have or city? Well, I did try and have
1: like some of the same interview questions with each executive director because I was like what are the items that don't sell and what are the items that you know do sell it's funny because there's one thing like trophies every creative you me, they had a bunch of trophies that they just could not get rid
0: of <laughs> wow yeah trophies. so mm-hmm. trophies if you wow mm-hmm. You know, that's so funny because I really think I have indeed seen some trophies (laughs) when I went to Richmond. And I also want to give a shout out to, um, I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia, but there is a Creative Reuse Center in Palmyra, which is a bit outside of Charlottesville. And it's called um, the Scrappy Elephant. And she's a really nice lady and I've sent fabric her way. And it's a wonderful little spot. So I want to give a shout out to her and her work because she does really great stuff. And I'm sure she might have some trophies there. So like- I wonder how trophies end up in a creative reuse center. Do people just think, oh, wow, I've had these trophies for all this time. They look like little sculptures. Maybe some artist will make something with them. Have you ever seen a project that's involved a trophy? I've seen people, they've
1: taken off the little top part mm-hmm. and they've spray painted them. They've made little figurine sets with that. I think with the little long part, Sometimes people use that to make like little batons. even like the stand part, people have used the stands to make like name plates. It's like literally the possibilities are endless. If you just sit down long enough and stare at it, you will come up with like 10 ideas. <laughs>
0: I was just like you know like you could take a dress form and like take the little person off a little the little bowler at the top and knock the bowler off and put like a little pincushion on top. Or a little dress form or something like that. And it could be something completely different. Like there might be reasons to have little tiny pedestals for other things. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That is, look at me. Now I'm thinking, like, what <laughs> all these old trophies we got around here? <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Um, And so that was one of the things they said that didn't sell. What were some of the more popular or rare finds um, or the more popular things that move pretty quickly through a creative review center, especially when it comes to sewing? Did you see some things that people were like, oh, I'm so excited. This is here. Or I can't wait to get rid of this thing. And someone was like, I'm so excited. This is here.
1: I mean, definitely fabric. I think we all, we all end up buying fabric that we just don't end up using and we finally have the heart to be like, I'm going to let this go. As soon as it gets on the floor, if it's bright and colorful, someone buys it because they're like, yes. And like when I was in Austin, I found some UGA fabric and I'm like, let me get the Let me get the <laughs>
0: found UGA fabric when you were yes. in Texas. Yes. Wow. And
1: um, even like with sewing notions, um, you know, one time when I was at Reconsider Goods, we got like all of these sewing hams and <laughs> a Damn. bunch of them. And I was the only person who knew what they were because everyone was like, "What are these like giant sacks? What are what are these things?" I'm like, oh, "Those are sewing hams." And they were <laughs> like, "Put these on the floor because someone wants to buy them." And they were gone. They're were- <laughs> we never wow. saw them again.
0: <laughs> that is so funny. I'm like, where did this great ham massacre come from? Like what? <laughs> What was this that someone had to turn in? Like you know, twelve hams. Like that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's probably that same teacher you had when you were nine. She's like, I hate sewing, I hate teaching kids. Y'all, turn in your hams. Throw them in this box. I'm <laughs> off on the way to the Creative Reuse Center. <laughs> oh, that's so. That is so wonderful. That is so wonderful. And so, what can people look forward to at Scrap Lanta? What are some of the things you are? most excited about finally having this space in Atlanta, which is, as you said earlier, a hub for all sorts of creativity, a lot of film and animation and anime, as well as just black excellence in general with folks who are creating and making and building and doing all sorts of creative things. What kind of things are you excited about, about having this, taking all the lessons you're studying, from undergraduate and fashion merchandising, your graduate study, your almost like self-made internships um, that you <laughs> did by like volunteering and them saying, hey, can we pay you to be here? And you like, with money? Yeah. You know, like all of these things that you can now, you have this huge amass of, you've you amassed a wealth of experience and data and information. What are you looking forward to in putting Scrap Lana? out there for um, folks to enjoy and celebrate.
1: Yes, um, Scrap Lana, we're gonna really lean into that name as a creative use center. Yes, we're gonna have the retail aspect. Like I will make sure we have a well stock fabric section, but I want the other aspects, like I want us to have workshops for the community, especially like people of all ages, like during con seasons, like MomoCon and DragonCon, show people how to make cosplay props. Yes. Um, show them that, you know, even though, you can't go and get a, a sword 3D printed. Maybe you can make a sword this way. And it follows the guidelines, so it's not an actual weapon. I want to have we're gonna have a gallery space inside of Grappalanta. And I really want it to be a place where we can show the community what Creative for Use is and how we can empower artists in the community. I really want to make sure that we have a, like a diverse selection of artists. Because one thing I've noticed in the Creative for Use space is that it's like, I guess on the popular mainstream level, it looks very white, yeah. but I know so many black creative for use artists and they don't, they just didn't even know that they were creative for use they artists. Like, that. Yeah. Cause like, I didn't know I was one until I found the word for it. I was like, <laughs> you know, we call it upcycling sometimes yes. or, you know, we do repurposing, but like creative for use, I guess that's the fancy new term for it, but it's a term that, you know, we should all be comfortable with
0: and we should yes. be proud of. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And it is so interesting that, you know, when we have, when these things hit the mainstream, they are often things that people have been doing for long before. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, I remember when like almost every other, you know, black person, like my age, for example, grew up in a house where if you got down to the end of the laundry detergent or the end of the dish detergent. You didn't just throw it out right you added an inch of hot water in there, and that was a few more uses of detergent that were perfectly <laughs> good. good. Um, mm-hmm. and that bottle was squeaky clean before it went out into the recycling or anywhere else. Um, the idea of having like containers that are perfectly good. You know, you open up a tub of, of country crock and it's going to have some leftovers in it because why mm-hmm. would you buy Tupperware when you can just get it at the store? You know, mason yeah. jars being reused, all of these things, you know, glassware and stuff. And there was a time when people would frown on that, like, right. And, oh, that's so tacky, blah, blah, blah. And now it's back because people realize that resources are, you know, that these natural resources can be finite if we continue to overexploit them. And so I really love that like little things like, you know, paper towels coming in select so that you can kind of, you know, just wisely use what you need and then you'll have it. That the question of building sustainable practices and preserving and conserving and extending one's resources is it feels to me very much a black cultural practice. Even with quilting, Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so this, I, and this is just the way that we, the world in which we live, that is a predominantly white country with a white supremacist ideology that will tell us that all things that are good and popular are the province of white people. When in fact, these are things that we have been doing all along, just without a name. So now that we have this name, We can not, I'm not going to say validate what we've been doing. It's just more visible and that we have always been participating in these kinds of practices, typically for necessity. But now it's like, it's like, now that's a new trend. Now that's a hot new trend is to make things be as sustainable as possible, which I think is as trends go, it's a good one Um, (laughs) because, you know, it's important to conserve what you have. As in order to like set a place for the future. And something I really love about what you're saying, um, Jonelle is, I keep going back to the nine-year-old you and trying to imagine how many hobbies a nine-year-old could possibly have had. <laughs> but as you were saying though, um, these times when it comes time to camp for this type of camp or that type of camp, if there was a creative reuse center when you were a kid, mm-hmm. I am betting that you would have been delighted to go there and find fabric and notions and patterns and things you had no idea what were. And you could buy them at a really reasonable cost and then get some guidance in how to use them. And so it's like you are continuing to help somebody else get on the creative journey that has sustained you. And that's what I find just so beautiful about this story. I absolutely love that, that you are creating and sustaining what might have helped you when you were just getting started. So I just want to thank you for that. That's incredible. Thank you. As we start to wrap up a bit, where can we find your, where can we find Scraplanta? How can people find it? How can people learn to volunteer? How can they volunteer? Mm -hmm. Um, Will you have a lot of volunteer positions that people can use? What kind of materials are you interested in receiving? Where can people bring you the 90,000 trophies they have in their house? (laughs) Um. Okay, so with
1: Scraplanta, you can find us on our website, scraplanta.org. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter because that's like the hub for everything. You can sign up volunteer on our website and volunteers can do some of everything from sorting our donations, which includes rolling fabric. Uh, <laughs> we will love to have fabric rollers, yarn sorters, even just, you know, because we get a lot of donations of like sewing kits. And if you just want to sit and just sort tracing wheels some scissors, from thread, you can do all that. And you can also do like some visual merchandising as you put stuff around the store floor and everything. And so you can also follow us on Facebook at Scrap Blended Creative for Use and on Instagram at Scrap ATL. And our store is going to be on, in Atlanta, Georgia on 2130 Henderson Mill Road, Unit 5B. It's going to be a shopping plaza and it's right between a TJ Maxx and Dollar Tree. So <laughs> when, when you're being a budgetista. You can yes. come over to Scott Lanza. <laughs>
0: perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's so perfect. I love that. Let me ask you one last question. So something I like to ask everybody. The, the slogan for the Stitch Please podcast is that we will help you get your stitch together. Yes. If you... And I'm going to ask you as an executive director as someone who is a creative and generally as a cosplayer, but perhaps as a creative director, as a, as I'm, not, I'm calling you creative director as an executive director. What advice would you give to someone to help them get their stitch together, what would you say if someone said, you know, um, executive director Dawkins I really want to get my stitch together, what would you say to that person.
1: I would say. Just start. If you have the vision, it'll come together. It will come together. But you got to start. You got to thread that bobbin. You got to cut that pattern. You got to start somewhere. So just go ahead.
0: (laughs) I love it. Go ahead. She says, and I agree. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Janelle, this was so delightful. Thank you so much for talking with us today. This has been really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yes, I appreciate your time, Lisa. <laughs> You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black lives matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, And you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcast directories or services allow for reviews, but for those who do, for those that have like a star rating or just ask for a few comments, if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the stitch please podcast, that is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. Come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together.